Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and today I'm going to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. This conversation has been a long time coming. I'm really excited to have Jeff Brown on the show today. He is the author, the co-author of Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. You know, I mean, Jeff has been hosting a podcast for a long time. We've been talking about uh, conversing on our respective podcasts for a long time. I had the chance to have him on the podcast today, and I'm really excited. Let's get to the conversation. Here's a productive conversation with Jeff Brown. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me here. I'm delighted to be here. I know we've talked about this for a long time, oh. and... Uh... Glad back, to be here. Yeah, back and forth. And it's it's on me because we we've talked about this, I want to say, for like three years easily. I think that's about right. Yeah. Easily. Um, so the book is Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. And I want to get this right out of the gate first. Uh, I've got I've dog-eared the book. If you're watching the video <laughs> of this, you'll see that there's lots of dog-earing going on and stuff like that. And as I made it my way through... I realized I was skim reading and we're going to get to that definition a little bit mm -hmm. later because you talk about this in the book. But what I want to get to first is the idea behind this this fascination with reading that you've had because you've hosted mm. the podcast for, is it over eight years now, right? Easily? Longer? Yeah, just at eight years. Okay. Yep. Um, so the how the relationship you've had with reading to the mm. point where you not only created a podcast, but now you've co-authored a book on it. Where did where did that start and like what what led you to that like what what was the point where you said you know what like reading is a thing that i really just can't can't live without well it started the love of reading started as a child i just uh, a couple of weeks ago was uh, at my mom's place for a week helping uh, her rid her house of 59 years worth of stuff and as I was doing that, I came across this series of books called The Life Cycle Library. And I can remember my mom uh, giving me these four uh, four volumes of books. Uh, and it was all about the birds and the bees, right? Right. And so <laughs> I, I would read. And it was a, a series. It was a series. So <laughs> yeah. well, wait, we got to get to book two. I don't know what to do next. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I would read from these books. And then my mom and I, my brother, too, who was just a couple of years younger, we would come together and talk about what we'd read. We'd unpack it. And I realized at my mom's a few weeks ago, that was my first ever book club. I didn't realize it then, but that was my first book club that I was a part of. Well, then, you know, I fast forward to school and uh, school for a lot of us, um, and, and no disrespect to teachers, my, my sister's a uh, teacher, but school for a lot of us ha has a way of educating out of us the desire to read. And it did that for me. And you know, I went through the entirety of my 20s, Mike, not picking up a book. I had a couple of books recommended to me based mm. on where I was in life and my profession, but they just didn't take. I thought, oh, that's probably more stuff that I don't desire to read just like in school. But in my early 30s, uh, that love was rekindled when my leader at the time, a guy named Matt Austin and Seth Godin, who've never met uh, and who this book is dedicated to, came together, reignited my love for reading through a a new book club at work and Seth's purple cow was the first book that I was presented with. And I remember reading it and loving it and thinking, wait, I can, I can continue to learn even though I'm not in school. I mean, it was like this revelation. It, it, that I and had you can time. learn about the stuff you want to learn about. I think yes. that's the other thing too, right? Like I remember 
just real quick sidebar is I've only recently embraced Hemingway over the years, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've only recently, and it's the same thing you mentioned is that you're the curriculum. And again, no fault to teachers or anything like that, but the, you get, this is the book you must read. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. and, and, and um, we've also been trained and I know you touch on this in the book and it's, this is something I've, I've, it took me a long time to get used to. Mark Manson talked about this too on a YouTube video not too long ago. We'll link to that in the show notes. Is the idea of leaving a book behind, like not finishing a book, like the completionist part of me. And I think it's not just me, but I think it's the way it's like you must finish this book because school tells you, hey, you've got to finish reading Brave New World. I'm like, ah, I wasn't really like and, and Hemingway was one of those where it. I know that other kids in other schools, that was their curriculum. Like, you have to read A Farewell to Arms or whatever. And I'm like, nah, you know what? If you're going to tell me to read something, I'm not going to read it. And I think that's – was that was it similar for you or you're like, you know what? I don't want to read this. So, therefore, it just kind of became an all-encompassing – it was an all-or-nothing mentality to a degree? It really was. And I was all about, you know, consuming other – you know, types of media, entertainment sure. predominantly. I listen to music and, and predominantly, and there's nothing wrong with that, certainly. But, you know, all my spare time was was spent in, in music and movies and things of that nature. I never picked up a book because I was like, nobody's going to tell me what to read. But I was at a place in my career in my early 30s where I was placed in a position to, to spearhead marketing, and I didn't have a lot of experience there, and I needed to read marketing books. And suddenly... As you said, I was reading books about something I was interested in learning more about, and it changed everything for me with regard to reading. Right. And the same thing happened at Costco for me when I was learning about productivity. I had to learn to balance all these things. I got into productivity. I started reading, and it rekindled that flame, especially as a writer. My goodness. Mm -hmm. Like, I was a writer all through school. And then uh, you talk about this in the book, that period of the 20s. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I think because I worked in radio too. I worked in college mm-hmm. radio. I think you and I've had this discussion briefly before. Mm-hmm. I worked in college radio just outside of Toronto, which is a different beast than commercial radio for sure. I mean, it's it's it. And what was interesting is I was doing the same. I was com- consuming music, video games, um, going to concerts. Uh, the only reading I was doing was liner notes, right? Or, uh, or, you know, or figuring out like, hey, you know, this is this is what's coming up in the, you know, I have to read this blurb on the air or whatever it was. But um, when you were putting the book together, and, and as I went through it, one of the things I found that I don't know, uh, challenging is not the right word, but co-authoring is an interesting scenario. Mm-hmm. I know you and Jesse wrote this together. What were the, uh, you know, Obviously, reading, you know, as, as you've gotten back into it has become less challenging. But putting this book together, like I, as I was going through it, what was what were the, some of the um, the benefits, but also the kind of the, the side effects you found by co-authoring this book? Because this is the first book that I've read and talked to someone about on the podcast where it's so apparent who's talking when mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. the way it's been put together as opposed to like when Grant Baldwin co-authored with Jeff coins, you know, the successful speaker, mm. you know, um, it was, it wasn't intertwined the way that you've done it in, in this book. And, mm. you know, mm. so what, 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 first off the reasoning, secondly, like challenges, but also benefits that you found. Yeah. It, it, that book you just mentioned with Grant's book, as I recall, it was, you know, Grant Baldwin with Jeff Goins, uh, right, where, right. you know, yeah, there's a little bit of a difference there, but, uh, right. between that and Jeff and Jesse. And that's so, fair. Literally, um, you know, I'm writing specific parts of the book and Jesse's writing specific parts of the book. And 
we might comment on one another's work and, and help the other tweak it a little bit, but it's mostly that other person, um, you know, doing it or it's me doing it, what have you. Uh, some of the challenges that, that, that come into play are when you want to write about the same things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And, and we, we do have some overlap. Uh, I'm very passionate about why uh, this is a habit you need to cultivate and how to go about making it a habit and uh, being productive uh, with it. Uh, both of us uh, love to talk about how to make the most out of your reading. Uh, and Jesse's the real expert when it comes to uh, things like skimming and speed reading. I, I, I uh, have learned some of those things from him, but he's the real expert there. Uh, and so the challenge is first sitting down and figuring, okay, who's going to do what? Mm. How, do we, how do we divide and conquer uh, this thing? Uh, some of the uh, joys of the process, certainly for me, were, and I think one of the things that held me back for a long time from writing a book was just the overwhelming nature of it all. And, yeah. you know, having to write 50,000 plus words. Well, when you have a co-author, at least in my case, you write about half of those words. And so you know, <laughs> take some of the pressure off. He's doing as much of the work as I am. And so uh, when this idea sort of came about, it was like, you know, maybe this is the answer for me personally and with where I'm at in my life right now, rather than tackling this project on my own, let me tackle it with a partner. Let me tackle it with someone else who can come alongside me and together we can make this happen. The the other thing that I... I really liked about the book. And there's, there's a few uh, there that are like this, you know, the idea of don't, you don't have to read it cover to cover, right? You don't have to read mm -hmm. it in yeah. order, which again, goes back to what we we're talking about, about like, read it the way you want. Cause if you force someone yeah. to read it and, and I mean that, that creates some friction there. What I liked about it mm -hmm. as I went through it was, oh, I could cherry pick, which also allows you to go back to the book later, right? Because not only are you going in, in, in a non-sequential order, but there's certain things like, you know what, I need to go back and look at this again. Um, was that part of the process the whole time? Like, hey, we want to make sure we design this book in a way that it's a uh, a movable feast, so to speak. There you go. Yeah, there's very, a Hemingway there. Very much, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, very much. So I'm, I'm glad that, that that you picked up on that, that that, was, that seemed obvious because that was definitely – uh, intentional, you know, as I as I referenced a moment ago, the first third of the book is really making an argument for why this needs to become a habit. If you're someone who's already convinced that, you can skip that section entirely and go right to you know section two and and go from there. Uh, or like you said, really cherry pick what are the things I want to learn about. Where are the where are the areas in which I need help with regard to this habit? Let me start there. And that's a great thing about nonfiction in general is you can often you can often do that. You can certainly do that with our book for sure. Sure. Um, the other thing that that I appreciated, and I think this is again to cultivate the very thing you're asking people to do in the book, is the is the book suggestions. Mm -hmm. How is that like? So did each of you? Because I mean, again, the way the book is written, it's not like, and I mean, it's not really a spoiler to say this, but it's not like <laughs> okay, this section is like this chapter is written by Jeff, this chapter is written by Jesse. There's some inter there's some intermingling and they're, they're going mm -hmm. on. So when you're going through the book suggestions, which by the way. Um, some of which I'm like, oh, I have that book, but have not read it. <laughs> I have that. I mean, I have a, a, a bunch of books. You can probably, if you're watching the video, you can see like right over there, there's, that's just a, a fraction of the books. Uh, I've got bookshelves in my, in my study. Um, how to read a book is one of them that I have not read yet, but someone gifted to me, you got to read this. I'm like, I probably should have, should have read it a long time ago. Um, <laughs> what, what went into that? Was that like, okay, we're going to, here's a list of books related to that area. Or did each of you kind of say, Hey, this book, I definitely want to shine a spotlight on. How did that, how did that work? 
Yeah, it was a little bit of both of those uh, for sure. Jesse is the owner. He, he's in the process of moving right now, and he was sending me pictures of, of his boxed-up books. There are about 4,000 oh, books he's had to box up. And then I think about all the people that I've uh, interviewed for my podcast. It's you know close to 400 now over the uh-huh. last eight years, and books uh, in all kinds of topics that fall within you know, the nonfiction space, you know, mindset and leadership and general business and jobs and career and marketing and sales and entrepreneurship and on and on. And so we both had very definite opinions as to to what to include, what we've read that we think needs to be included. I'm looking right now at the chapter called The Slow Death of Readers and a couple of references, uh, suggestions at the end of that book. One is from Jesse, one is from me. The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains by Mm -hmm. Nicholas Carr is a book he recommends. Um, the book that I suggested, though we don't make this distinction in the book, is Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I have both of those books. One I've read <laughs> because it was for the podcast. Cal's been on the show. I'll link it yeah. in the show notes. He's been on the show a few times. And uh, The Shallows, I have have not read yet, though. <laughs> it's pretty funny because um, – and you and I are in the same boat with this, too, because we have conversations on our podcast. So, I mean, when I said, hey, I need a print galley, like I didn't even have to explain what that was to you. You knew exactly what I was <laughs> looking Some authors are like, oh, they do know, but they're like, well, why? I'm like, well, first off, the physical copy of the book – and I know you appreciate this, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like holding it, being able to – Especially when you're reading so much, yes, right? Like, yes. that's a. I wasn't. I wasn't going to ask you about this, but I think this is a, a, a. I don't really read all that much on digital devices. That you know, I I don't have a Kindle. First off, Canada, mm. the Kindle mm. took a while to kind of take hold. <laughs> um, I do have my iPad that I do have some digital books on. I don't know. I will probably get a Kindle at some point just for the e-ink screen and reading outside, especially you know in the summer as we're recording this. But there's just something about having that physical book. Not only is it, um, you know, I can make notes in it, you know, a la Ryan Holiday, who I know gets a few mentions in the book and, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But also um, it gets my attention. It's not buried mm-hmm. in the digital space. What do you prefer? And also, you know, like when you're actually and this is this is just kind of a sidebar, but when you're asking people, hey, when people say, hey, I want to be on your podcast, you get the same thing I do. Um, mm-hmm. Are you in the same boat as I am where it's like if you send me a print copy, that's going to go a whole lot further with me than a digital version? Yes. Hallelujah. Amen to everything you just said. <laughs> um, I definitely prefer uh, the print copy. Now, I, I uh, bought a Kindle a couple of years ago. That's yeah. I have only owned one for a little while. And the idea was, you know, my wife was telling me we're busting at the seams, we're running out of room for books, you got to do something. And so I bought it with that in mind. But I far prefer, and I rarely read on that device, it rarely gets used, I far prefer the physical book. And there's something too spatially uh, about a physical book, whereas, you know, in a digital book, or certainly an audio book, uh, when I read a, a physical book, and, and I'm reading something, and I think, oh, that reminds me of this earlier section where she talked about I think of that page in my mind, and I, I I recognize that was on the left side of the of the book, and it was toward the top. And I, you know, I mean, things like that. The way my brain uh, uh, remembers that and absorbs that is different with a physical book than it is with a with a digital book. Right. Or when you're reading a book and it reminds you of another book that you know you have, and mm. you're like, oh, there, because you can see it. You can physically, like, yeah. I can look. Oh, look, there's Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies. Oh, there's how to decide by any, like I can see it and go, oh, 
uh, that book relates to this other topic. I wonder, and then you can, of course, go back and see the physical, you know, notes you've made or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, especially, I love having that. Like you said, there, there's, it's that physical component. I think that's really, and what's interesting, you also bring up in the book. Seth actually brings this up. Seth's been on the show before as well. I'll, we'll link mm-hmm. to that in the show notes. Um, he brings about the idea that the reason he likes books is that he can, you can give them to someone too. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's a physical gift. Uh, my, my friend, uh, David Knapp Fisher has a book called punch failure in the face and then go buy it a beer. And we bought some <laughs> for his birthday. I bought three copies of his book that he was going to sign and he could give to someone. And that some people mm. would say, well, why would you buy his book for a birthday present? And then like for his birthday present, I'm like, because authors love the fact that they can go, hey, here's a book. Here's a copy. Let me give it to you. And then you're giving them that gift. And mm. so what, I don't know about you, but with I could tell you my wife did the same thing. She's like, you've got too many books, most of which admittedly have come over the years of interviewing people. So mm. the free library movement has been fantastic because I will legitimately <laughs> go, all right, it's time to go for a walk. I'll load up a backpack with some of the books that I no longer need and I'm willing to let go and give to someone else. And I'll walk through my neighborhood and drop two books off here, two books off there. Oh, that's cool. And 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 I think that that's the, that's the ultimate that, – that to me is helpful. How willing are you when you're in, – you know, in the context of this book – do you hold on to those books that like, are you definitely like a book hoarder where it's like, I'm going to keep these things? <laughs> or are you like, you know what, this book now will better serve someone else. I'm going to pass mm-hmm. it on either, either as a gift to someone you actually know, like I've given, I still have a copy of Derek Sivers. Um, uh, oh my goodness. I'm looking at the yellow book right now. Hell, hell yeah. Or, or no, hell yeah. Or no, I've given that <laughs> book to like five people I've given, like I will give those books specifically to people that I think could use them, but also mm. I'm willing to just say, hey, you know, here's Jeff's book. I've read it. Mm. Let me give it to someone who might benefit from it. Are you in that same camp or are you more like the, nope, these books I may need later, so I'm going to hold on to them? I tend to want to hold on to books. I'm kind of selfish, I guess, that way. But recently, in, and I say recently, I mean in like in the last six months, mm-hmm. I've finally gotten to a point and it's really come down to space. I've gotten to a point where I've literally filled my space with all the books that I have room for, and I've had I've got no choice but to begin letting go of them. So I've started donating them to my local library, uh, giving them away, and asking friends and family, as you as you suggested, uh, as to who might want them or want to read them. I hadn't thought about walking around in my neighborhood. You guys have free. You guys do have the free. You guys do have the free libraries down where you are at, right? Like the little free library yeah. stands. Yeah, that's yeah. A, such a, yeah. an amazing movement. And I have to say, during COVID nineteen, when the pandemic was going on in, in full force, libraries were shut down here for the most part. You could only mm-hmm. get digital copies or audio books, right? So yeah. to be able to go wander your neighborhood and go, oh look, here's a book, like. You mentioned um, – what's the book by Patrick Lynch, uh, the one that you um, – uh, the five – Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Thank you because um, yes. he's written a few. That book mm-hmm. was in one of the free libraries, and I'd been looking <laughs> for it for a while. I'm like, oh, there it is. And I mean, truth be told, that backpack, when I leave with the books, sometimes <laughs> it comes back with just as many. <laughs> it just depends. But uh, the, that free library – I mean, that's that's a great jumping off point for – People who are like, you know what, either they don't have a library that's close to them because sometimes libraries mm. can – the fact that you can walk up to someone's house and they've got these little stands and you could take mm. a book and leave a book, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we've got one of those on our street. Yeah. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? 
I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Love it. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening could be time better spent growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash timecrafting. That's linkedin.com slash timecrafting to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Business isn't business as usual anymore, and starting up is more challenging in this changing environment. 
Sit Down Startup is a new weekly podcast from Zendesk. Their startups team brings together Zendesk leaders with founders and CEOs in a coffee shop style conversation who solve real problems, sharing the successes and pitfalls of customer engagement. Catch weekly fresh new episodes on Apple, Google, and Spotify. All right. So speaking of books, uh, I'm, I've got two questions about books specifically. You just mentioned the one by Patrick Lynchconi. What's a book that you return to again and again? Gosh, I would say uh, one of those books is Die Empty, Unleash Your Best Work Every Day by uh, Todd Henry. Yep. I um, got so much out of that book years ago, and I've had Todd on my show multiple Same. times. Yep. Uh, Liz Weissman's uh, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, it's now been out for, I think, for 12 or 13 years. Um, and she's somebody I've had a chance to interview a couple of times. And that book for me just kind of opened my eyes to what true great leadership looks like. At the time that I read that book, I had that kind of multiplier type leader, that person that understands how to leverage the collective brain power in the room and isn't intimidated by staff they've hired that know more about their area of expertise than the leader does, <laughs> actually welcomes that. Uh, instead of being a diminisher type leader, you know, and so that book has been uh, just life changing uh, for me. Seth Godin's work and just about everything he writes, you know, I'm going to buy it sight unseen and, right. and dive into it just because I love his 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 uh, entire body of work. This one's a bit trickier, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What's a book that you <laughs> thought you'd like, but it just Ooh. didn't land? Um, gosh, let's see. Um. You know, I'm reading a book right now um, called How to Take Smart Notes, and the author's name escapes me at the moment. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a book that I thought I would really finish quickly. And I, I, it's not to say I don't like it, because frankly, I'm not far enough into it to have made that ter- determination. But right. I, got, I got about two chapters into it, and that was like a month ago, and I haven't picked it up since. So it's been a bit of a slog. Uh, yeah, been of a more of a slog than I than I thought it was going to be. Okay, okay, and that's the thing is I want to make that distinction because when it doesn't land, it doesn't mean it's a bad book. And sometimes, and it's like a movie, right, or like anything else, or a piece of music. Like their books, I think are the same. Like sometimes it's the right moment. Sometimes it's the right mm. season when you read it. You're like, oh, I mean, I've gone back to read David Allen's Getting Things Done several times, mainly because not only have the changes that that GTD has made over the years, especially when you read the original text, then you read the latest update. It's like, Oh, he's, I mean, David has changed a lot over the years. So has the way he's, his system has evolved. But, um, I can tell you that if I read that book, if I didn't read that book at the start of my journey, it probably wouldn't have landed as well Mm -hmm. as it did when I, you know, I mean, and there's a lot of people that read books and they say, Oh, I just didn't like it. I'm like, well, you know, where were you at? Is I think I think that's important to 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 a, a really important distinction to to kind of spotlight a bit is sometimes a book isn't you're not ready for it or it's not ready for you right yeah that was the case for me in my early twenties when I had a mentor who recommended uh, a Zig Ziglar book on sales and and I was looking at going into radio sales because in his words that's where the real money was at yeah. not and he wasn't wrong but uh, another <laughs> book was Og Mandino's uh, the greatest oh, that ever lived that's the one that Matt McConaughey just talked about in his book uh, Green Lights which by the way yeah. again there's an interesting book that's a book that uh, I have to say Jeff I did the audio version for it and the reason. Mm-hmm. It's the it's McConaughey reading it. Right. Right. So I got the like it's his story. I love memoirs when the author reads it. Right. Or when it's a 
it, when it's their thing, right? Like if it's David Allen reading, getting things done, that makes sense to me because it's his framework. Like I would appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm driving to a retreat early, late last year, late 2020. And uh, I got the audiobook. I also have the print version of Green Lights, by the way, as well. And as I'm driving up, I'm, you know, it's a three hour drive north and I get to my location, my destination. It's just a private retreat for me to do my, my annual planning. And I'm, I'm enthralled by not just the, the, cause he's, he's quote, keeping it real. Like he's making it like accessible. Like he's coming across like just a human being and not this Academy Award winning actor. And I said, I, I was ready to do certain things when I got to this, this destination. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to let this thing keep playing. I poured myself a glass of bourbon and I just <laughs> sat in this chair and this is a six-hour audiobook. I finished it in one sitting from the drive mm. all the way up to the – and it was such a surreal experience because I got this entire journey in a six-hour epic you know, um, storytelling <laughs> session. And when – I remember I was in a, in a Facebook group, uh, this Facebook group for writers, and someone said, like, what's a book that's really changed you recently? I'm like, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. And immediately some people were like – some people were immediately curious and others were, I wouldn't say dismissive, but they're like, really? Like it's a Matthew McConaughey book. But I'm like, listen, it's mm. the way that the story is told. And sometimes that's what matters, right? It's it's the it's the way things are pieced together. It's the way – and again, when it hits you at just the right time. And so he mentioned uh, Mandino's the greatest salesman in the world because that comes up. Mm. I don't know if you've read Green Lights at all, um, but he ta- he brings it up. And mm. it was just one of those experiences where I will remember reading that book for the first time to the point where I actually, like I said, I bought the physical copy. Yeah. What's that saying or phrase when the student is ready, uh, the, the master appears, the teacher appears? Yeah, you know, something I, like that. But no, it's 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 true. It's, um, speaking of surprises uh, and just conducting research along mm. the way, when you were because, you know, you've, you put you, you both you and Jesse have put quite a bit of research into this, like in, into, mm-hmm. hey, if you read this one topic, for example, you're going to know what was it, 27% more uh, than most uh, or more than 27% of Americans, I think. was mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Um, What was some of the surprising research that you came across? Maybe one that stood out for you as you're going through as you're going through the putting together this book. You're like, wow, I didn't know this. Some of it I had surface level knowledge of, but mm-hmm. really uh, what was cemented for me was how uh, and this is going to sound like I'm, I'm trying to toot my own horn, but just how badly a book like this is needed. Right. <laughs> how, how many people really don't read. And when I was talking to, to Seth Godin about this and, and you've read his quote in the book and mm-hmm. he talks about how astonishing and sad it is that most people uh, don't read. And and the reasons for that are, are people don't want to learn because learning requires acknowledging at least, you know, f- briefly that you don't know something, which uh, we're taught to avoid. Yep. Right. Uh, and it's it's easier not to learn and just get back to work. <laughs> yep. Or or, and, or absorb or absorb things in bite sized content so that we can get the headlines or, you know, whatever, like that brief bit to feel like mm-hmm. we're in the know. But we're in the know is not the same as knowing mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and, and you know, in the uh, the conclusion or epilogue of the book, I cite some work uh, from an author that I'm fond of uh, named Tim Pollard. And uh, in the um, uh, intro of his book that, that I cite, he talks about, and this is so fascinating to me, how uh, the way we consume information is affecting our brains, uh, this sort of, uh, you know, bite-sized chunk type, uh, you know, 
app, uh, you know, uh, 10 second, 30 mm-hmm. second. It's, it's, it's impacted our brains and not for the good. And his argument in the introduction of his book is that there is still a place for books because books, when they came along, impacted our brains in a certain uh, very positive, very powerful way. And um, th- this new way of learning that so many of us are engaging in, if we're not careful, can kind of undo some of that. Uh, and I think this book, our book, makes the argument that there still is a place for reading. There still is a place for consuming traditional books, um, and it will have positive impacts uh, on all areas of your life, I believe. One thing that uh, I was promised I was going to get to skim reading, mm-hmm. and I admittedly did that for this book. I tend <laughs> to do it. I'm sure you yeah. do, too, when you're getting, you know, when you mm-hmm. get, when you get. But what's great is when you do it often enough you get really good at it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and um, the way that you've constructed this book also allows for it, which I find, you know, again, Mm -hmm. whether intentional or not, it worked because I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay, so this is where this is and this is where this is. And you and I both know that a lot of business, like nonfiction, not say business, but nonfiction books, there's a lot of introduction, body, conclusion that comes up. Mm -hmm. But there's also, there's, Here's the information and here's a story around that information. Mm-hmm. And if you read enough, you can go, okay, I just need the I need the information. Right. I need a bit of context, but I don't need to go so deep into it. So you can skim it mm-hmm. and go, okay. Some in some instances, and you might have come you've read enough, you probably have come across this where like, oh, this story is being used in this book just like it was used in this other <laughs> book, or I know I've read it before. Mm-hmm. So can you touch on it? I know Jesse, you, you mentioned Jesse's the one that knows more about skim reading for, because I think that most people, to your point about people want to get be in the know and they want to consume more. And, you know, that's that's the 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 way the world kind of works. Right. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like kids mm-hmm. consume and get through things as quickly as we can. Can you touch on that a little bit? But without giving giving away the whole the whole gamut, uh, can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah, don't mind at all. Yeah, happy to give away whatever we need to give away for sure. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I do this, with, as you mentioned, with interviews sometimes. I'll find that I'll start reading the book and I'll get three or four chapters in and you know, time is tight or the interview's yeah. uh, you know about to happen and I'll skim much of the rest of the book so I at least have an idea. Um, and so for me, that process starts uh, with uh, reading um, the uh, table of contents and familiarizing myself with some of those points, reading uh, maybe the introduction, depending on how long it is in the conclusion. Uh, and then going to the first chapter I want to dig into. That may not necessarily be, as we've talked about, chapter one. Right. But I go to that chapter, and I'll go through that entire chapter, skimming the headings and subheadings and familiarizing myself with the specific points the author is making in this chapter. Once I've done that, I go back to the beginning, and I'll start with reading the first and last sentence of each paragraph. And more often than not, of course, again, this works for uh, nonfiction. This is not going to work, obviously, for fiction. Uh, you know, you'll you'll find uh, more often than not. And yes, we did intentionally construct our book this way. That when you do that, you walk away being able to have synthesized more often than not the main uh, key insights and main ideas the author was making in that particular chapter. Right, and and I think the key, if you're going to be having a conversation around it, is not to stop there. So. Mm. You can't, I mean, people are probably seeing, if you're watching the video, you're seeing me glance down every once in a while. So once I've done the skimming, I'm sure you've done the same thing. I go back. So I've dog-eared, as I mentioned, I've dog-eared all that stuff. And the tricky part, you mentioned table of contents. Anyone who's read a galley copy before or not ready for print, 
<laughs> table of contents aren't terribly helpful with the page numbers. You just know they're just not because it's not a final print version. But it's that's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's okay. It's a, there. You go. A little inside baseball in the publishing industry. Sometimes you'll get a, and this happens honestly more often than not. I know you. Mm. You've, you've come across this too. So the key is for me, I'll dog ear right. And then what I'll do is I'll go back to the dog ears and sometimes I'll highlight. I didn't have a highlighter with me, so I just made sure that I, you know, so I'll skim that page. And again, mm-hmm. it's which way did I dog ear? Did I dog ear this way? That helps me know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I went back and said, OK, and I have 10 questions. I have 10 areas that I want to talk about. So mm-hmm. not only can you, you know, I think that's the important thing, too. If you're going to carry on a conversation about something, going back and reviewing it. Which, frankly, is part of the productivity practices I talk about anyway. Reflecting mm. is important. Going back and going, mm. okay, I've you, like you said, you've synthesized, you know, what's inside of what, of what you're trying to learn or what you're trying to consume. Yeah. But if you want to get, if you want to dig in a bit deeper or make sure it's sticky or at least get to the point where you can have a conversation around it, going back and looking at it again and going, oh, okay, so that's right. Like the next thing I want to talk to Jeff about is this, or I definitely want to make sure I touch on this. It really helps not only you have a conversation with someone around it, but also helps it further cement itself inside your head, right? Mm, right. Absolutely. And I'm sure you, do you do the same is the same practice for you when you're when you're doing a when you're gonna have an interview with someone for your podcast, you're like, if you have to skim read, you'll go back and go, Okay, let me see what I've let's let's either you'll make notes along the way or you'll go back and, and reflect on it. Yeah, very much so. And I try, though, historically, I've, I've taken notes as I've read, whether mm-hmm. I'm skimming or whether I'm sitting down and actually reading it. I'm, I'm trying to get into the practice of waiting until I'm done with at least a section, if not the whole chapter, before actually going back and taking notes. What right. I'll do in the interim is I'll you know star things that I think are important or dog ear a page or I'll write a cue for a quote I want to come back to or remember. I'll write a question mark for something maybe that I don't understand or possibly don't. I'm not sure I agree with. Or and, underline and or square further. brackets. Like you'll you'll make it so it's like, yeah. oh, this means this. And you probably got like – and again, we, we love systematizing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. – I mean and most people don't realize that like everything is a system or a framework of some sort. A book is a framework. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so all you're doing is saying, okay, well, question mark means I have a question around this. For me, I'll put like square brackets around like this is a section that I noticed. So if I dog mm-hmm. ear, it's like, well, there's some – dog earing is like – phase one, Mm -hmm. if I have more time or I feel like, okay, I've got the right equipment with me, like this red pen or whatever. Hey, I'm going to, you know, put square brackets around this because I definitely want to bring this up. Right. Right. So, and some people, I know that uh, I've done this before is they'll dog ear the upper page, like the top corner. If they want, it means one thing or they'll dog ear the bottom corner. If it means another, like, so Mm -hmm. again, it's reading is such a personal thing, isn't it? Like the whole way um, and this leads me to, as we come close to wrapping up, you mentioned off, like right off the top, reading was a very personal thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you read the, your first book club was you and your brother and your mother talking about the birds and the bees around this series of books <laughs> you bring up. And this is, I've not seen this in a book before. Maybe there, mm-hmm. maybe it has been brought up in, in a, in a book like this. Um, but I have not come across the idea of the book club in like really like, hey, we're going to shine a spotlight on this thing. So you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I've considered for members of my membership community, Time Crafting mm-hmm. Trust. It's come up a few times. And I would like to hear from you, like, what are some of the the, the powerful benefits of having, you know, or starting or being either starting or being part of a book club? 
Because I my wife's in one, and mm. it's definitely one of those. You know, she does a lot of fiction reading with this book club, but it also has the typical stereotypes that you hear about a book club where it's like, did you read the book? No, no, but we just get together and had some wine and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, what's the book? I don't know what the book is this month, mm. you know? And actually, interestingly enough, last last night, the night before we're recording this, Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show, I don't know if you saw this at all, mm-hmm. but he started a book club <laughs> and on Instagram, he's going to go through the, like everyone's reading this book. I think it's like a late summer book club and he mm-hmm. had five books and he whittled them down and then he chose this one. And so on his Instagram account, he's going to be showcasing where he's at with it. So he's using it as a piece of social engagement, social content, which is great. Uh, but I saw that and I can't – I have to say, Jeff, as soon as I saw that late night watch, I'm like, oh, well, this is apropos. <laughs> I'm going to be talking to Jeff tomorrow about this. So can you touch on the power of a book club? Yeah, Franklin Covey, I, I saw yesterday on LinkedIn, is starting a book club uh, too. That wow, I and I know Todd has into. one. Todd Henry, <laughs> Todd Henry has one too. Yeah. I know he's he's done this for quite some time. Well, when I started my podcast, and I've had a, a membership site uh, for about three years, I ran a membership site, a book club focused membership site for uh, listeners of Read to Lead. But the podcast itself, in so many ways, the Read to Lead podcast is a book club. I started it out of a desire. Uh, and a frustration, first of all, not having enough people around me who were reading to the extent that I was uh, to talk about the books that I was reading. Uh, I was frustrated not having people around me that I worked alongside or uh, friends who were interested in reading uh, the books I was reading and interested in reading to the frequency I was reading. So I started a podcast where I could talk to the authors about their books and the key insights and main ideas and disseminate those to a wider audience and maybe convince people to go and buy the book. The biggest complaint I get from listeners is the the money they spend on books. And that's Mm. the greatest compliment and complaint all in one, (laughs) because that was the idea behind the podcast. And so when it comes to book clubs, uh, I personally have benefited from them greatly um, in the sense that um, the ideas that are sparked, things that I never would have thought of having read the same thing somebody else read that they bring to a meeting sometimes blows my mind or I can read some something at one point and then you know come to that book club meeting or what have you read it again and suddenly it hits me in a different a different way just because of where I'm at that particular day or what my mindset is or what have you and so um, I have found that the book clubs I per- I've participated in particularly those that are a part of a, a workplace environment um, it, it can be difficult to start those oftentimes, the leader wants to start a book club and suddenly this is like homework and assignments and it's something that not a lot of people find fun to do. Mm. So I recommend that as a leader, if that's something that you'd really love to see uh, to create a a culture of reading in in your workplace, first of all, you've got to let them catch you in the act. That means reading at your desk and not apologizing for it. That means giving them permission to do the same uh, you know, something other than a particular project or, or work-related task, give them permission uh, to read at their desk, assuming it relates, you know, to the industry and the work that they're doing uh, and skills that they want to improve at. Let them catch you uh, doing it. And as people uh, sort of catch you doing it, uh, if you will, you know, don't be afraid as a leader to, when appropriate, bring up in a meeting. Um, you know, I was reading the other day about this topic, and the author says you know, this, this, and this. What do you guys think? When there are moments to do that, appropriate moments to do that, make sure you take advantage of that. And over time, you'll be able to introduce or find a champion, somebody in in the ranks who says, 
hey, I'd, I'd love to take on the job of, of kicking off a book club. I see that you do it. I see that it's helped you. It's helped us in our meetings. Others are starting to do it. Would you be okay if I take up the, 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 the baton and, and do this? And oftentimes you can find a champion like that who can do it. And it's not something coming down from leadership and being something that everybody feels like they have to uh, participate in. So those are just a couple of ideas for getting one, one started, I think, regardless of, of where you are in your work environment, assuming that, uh, that you, know, you want to be lifelong learners, and I think we all should be, I think it's a great thing to start. Now, here's one area of pushback, Mike, okay. that I sometimes hear from leaders, and it's, I don't hear it often, but I hear it often enough that I think it's worth addressing. Sure. And that is, uh, my concern is that through reading and growing and developing, my people are going to leave, that they're going to find a better job, they're going to get you know, so much more well-rounded that they walk away. Well, what would you rather have happen for them to, to grow and develop and go somewhere else or stay with you and not do those things? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah, you're damned if you do damned if you don't, right. To a degree, yeah, but yeah. at least the one side, I mean, first off, you're developing a better culture. Secondly, yeah. the people that are going to come up in the ranks below them, if they leave, there's going to be other people that are, I mean, no one is irreplaceable, right? So if you've mm -hmm. got the right culture, then th there's someone that's going to fit into that slot that will do that job just as admirably in, in most cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, Jeff, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time today. The book is called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. Jeff and Jesse put this book together. Where can people get a copy of this book and where can people keep up with you and your work? Thank you. Yeah, the best place to go to find more information about the book is simply readtoleadbook.com. And you can even download the introduction and first chapter. You can kick the tires and see if it's something that you think you might like before uh, making a purchase. And you can find uh, me hanging out often at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's my main uh, website. And I publish a new episode uh, with an author every Tuesday. Jeff, thanks again for having a productive conversation with me today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Big thanks to Jeff for joining me on the program. You can find everything we talked about at productivityist.com slash podcast 386, or just look at the podcast app you're using right now if you are, because all the show notes are there. Now, if you are listening to this in a podcast app, maybe it's Overcast, maybe it's Spotify, maybe it's Apple Podcasts, maybe it's Stitcher, hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode. Plus, you can get back to the archives of the 380 plus episodes far easier than if you're not a subscriber. You won't miss a single episode either, including what's coming up next week, my conversation with my really good friend, Stephen Worley, who happened to appear at the Big Ready, which is the event we host every year. Last year, of course, so this past year, rather, it was virtual. Next year, we're hoping to do it in person or have some kind of hybrid approach. That won't be until later in 2022. But if you want to hear what Stephen has to say, you don't want to miss this episode. So again, the best way to make sure that you don't miss the episode is to subscribe to the podcast today. That's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.